recording or oh. even if as as you do it. Okay, could you just start by saying your name and what um, unit of the university you work in at the moment? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Sara Khalid. I'm an associate professor in health informatics um, and a senior research fellow in biomedical data science um, in the Nuffield Department of Orthopedics, Rheumatology and Musculoskeletal Sciences. Um, and within that, the Center of Statistics for Medicine. And, and there's also a unit, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's got the words planetary health in it. Is that correct? That is my research group that I lead. So I'm oh, the sort of principal investigators, investigator for um, the planetary health informatics group. So that's my own sort of research body. Mm, mm. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that later. But just first of all, very briefly, can you just give me an account of how you got interested in your subject and what the main milestones in your career have been so far? Um, I trained in engineering, um, so I'm an engineer by, by qualification, and I studied engineering science um, in Pakistan, and uh, later on through um, uh, a growth scholarship, uh, which is limited to Oxford, I had the opportunity to undertake my doctoral studies at the engineering department at Oxford, specializing in biomedical engineering, because that um, was and is the area of engineering that most interested me and continues to do so. Um, and then that's the basis of my training and um, my research has since evolved into uh, the field of health informatics. Um, yeah, okay. And and um, yeah, so I'd like to get back to, to the, the title of your research uh, group, Planetary Health, which intrigues me. Um, I mean, I understand that you work in the general area of, of health informatics, data, um, digital health. No, digital health isn't quite the way, but, but yeah, in informatics. Um, but planetary health seems to take it wider than simply looking at the health of human beings. Absolutely. And that's the entire idea. It's, 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 um, it's still very much um, human health, but taking into account uh, not just our, you know, the health of our bodies, um, but the impact of uh, our environment and more broadly the climate and the impact of the changes and all of that um, on human health. Um, and, and that's what planetary health, which is, I have to say, um, a, a still nascent, still nascent field um, within within the big field of health informatics. Um, so I should say within the field of healthcare, not health informatics. So planetary health within the world of uh, global health or public health is um, a relatively nascent concept. It has been expedited through, you know, um, accelerated awareness um, of, of the climatic changes around us and, you know, the recognition of the impacts of a warming world on human health. Um, so that's what planetary health is about. Uh, why, why we, um, so within planet, within, um, within healthcare, um, the, we, it, 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 uh, we, it was quite clear to see that if we are to take the field of informatics forward, which is how can we make use of tools and techniques like um, statistics and artificial intelligence to explore big data from healthcare, whether that is at a population level or a patient level, to solve global problems, 
then in order to do that, uh, a lot has been done by um, or leveraging or harnessing just uh, data that's limited to, to kind of the biology or the genome of uh, the human body, uh, less so um, the, the, uh, the idea of taking into account environment and climatic links has been explored. Why we're now able to start looking into this um, is because we now have, um, as we know, there's been a, a data explosion. We live in the age of uh, you know, big data and um, data-driven analytics made, made possible because you know, we, we're um, seeing uh, terabytes of data come through daily um, in healthcare and so on, but also because um, climate data has become basically freely available. So you can basically leverage satellite imagery data um, and try and glean some trends from it. So my group is, uh, what, what our niche is, is trying to kind of do something which is not without its challenges, which is then we mash um, environment and, and climate uh, information together with what we have available in form of data on health and uh, derive insights from it by using data discovery tools like artificial intelligence and so on to understanding you know both just generally the health health gaps but also the impacts of uh, climatic changes and environmental changes on the health uh, gaps have you got a, a, an example you can give not not counting covid we haven't quite got to that yet but no. um, from from your from your previous work have you got an example where you can show how incorporating this climate data has has led to new insights so um, yeah, a couple of um, studies, both from because you know by by kind of virt virtue of of the the way it works, um, the, the research is not limited to any kind of geography. So I can give you an example of um, a study that we've uh, we are doing on on data from children who move uh, from place to place. So we have you know for example, we've been looking at overall million children moving from place to place in Europe, trying to see by um, by following their movement um, and um, their health profiles, can we learn retrospectively the impact of, uh, let's say, more green environments versus more brown environments or more, uh, more urban versus rural environments on, um, on health impacts um, of children as they grow? Um, and obviously, you can't do this as a clinical trial because you can't sort of um, uh, you, you can't um, um, randomly allocate children uh, to good and bad environments. But uh, with access to routinely collected health information, such as those from GPs, and with access to uh, environmental and planet um, climatic level indicators, such as from satellite imagery, we are now being able to kind of retrospectively study. Um, the movement of children. That, that's one example from Europe. In South Asia, because my background is from Pakistan, so I have some collaborations there. And what we're one of the uh, one of the applications is to look at uh, uh, a, a big problem is um, air pollution. So um, South Asia is home to at least two cities like Karachi and Bombay, which are the top. Um, I would say three polluted cities air, air pollution wise in the world. This is a big problem. Um, and um, so we're in short looking at um, 
um, brick kilns and they produce a lot of um, air, air pollution, but also heat. So um, the air pollution is affecting um, people's respiratory health in real time. And the, uh, the, the, the uh, heat is obviously contributing to global warming as well. Um, a lot of these industries are not regularized. They are not um, officially, um, they're not in the official sort of radar. So can we use artificial intelligence to remotely identify uh, um, such, uh, you know, uh, such industries um, where they are geographically located over vast expanses of rural areas? And so we've shown how you can basically start to do that with um, artificial intelligence. Um, and, you know, so then that can serve as um, as an input for policymakers and lawmakers who want to then do monitoring or surveillance or uh, policing of, of, of that activity. Um, and you, and, can and link, I, you can link that to the health data from, from that region as well, can you? Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, um, I mean, um, yeah, so, so more on the kind of um, maybe, yes, we can. And then just maybe sort of substantiate it with, with a slightly uh, with another study, but a related kind of example is that um, we've started to look at um, a lot has been done, as I was saying, on um, health in health indicators. Um, you know, there are studies like the global burden of disease and so on, which have been um, tracking for the last 20, 30 years, um, how um, the burden and incidence of um, various diseases around the world at a global level. Um, and what we're doing is to now uh, map that to environmental indicators. And this is something that can be done at a global level. Uh, we are doing it for South Asia and Middle East to try and see as the health indicators have, um, as the burden of disease has gone up over the last 30 years, uh, is, is there a correlation or is there a correlation between that and the um, Kind of the increase in some of the climatic indicators like uh, global land surface temperatures, uh, carbon dioxide, and so on. So that's another um, study, and we're beginning to see some interesting um, correlation, um, you know, in different parts of South Asia for that. Um, so that's a that's yeah. a really good introduction to the, uh, the the scope of your your research and where you get your data and so on. So I think let's now arrive at uh, at the COVID pandemic. Um, can can you remember where you were um, or how you first came to hear that there was an outbreak of respiratory disease disease yeah, in I China? Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very clearly, like it was yesterday. It was in fact in this very very space that I am sat uh, for today's call. Um, only because it's Friday afternoon and I had to come in for something. Um, so my home, I was he right here. Um, my mother had just landed in from Pakistan for her annual um, summer break, I think. And uh, obviously Boris Johnson was announcing on the TV behind us uh, on the 20th or something of March, uh, was it 2020, uh, uh, that we're all going to have to kind of stay at home and the world started to sort of close in. Um, <laughs> but, but that's just, um, you, know, you know, you have these big sporadic memories and that's my first memory of lockdown, lockdown in the UK. Mm. Um, um, I had, um, incidentally, uh, just, I was just coming back to work after, uh, my second maternity leave during that same time as well. So, uh, what, what that meant was that I, I, I came back to, to work after a nine month maternity leave 
in the in the middle of a lockdown situation, i.e., working having to work from home, and because of the kind of uh, lockdown restrictions and school and nursery closures, etc., I had um, a nine-year-old um, primary school child and uh, a nine-month-old um, a baby at home as well, um, and, and so that. Um, that is my second uh, kind of recollection of, of what what lockdown and COVID meant, but what it meant in terms of work and how it impacted uh, research and how how like so many other researchers um, around around Oxford but around the academic community around the world, uh, things had to be pivoted uh, around uh, COVID, not just because um, it had to be done but because uh, we wanted to contribute what we could uh, from our area of work to um, driving rapid um, uh, evidence um, around COVID and contribute. So where, for example, uh, folks in the Jenner Institute were doing all of the important stuff like the vaccine and all, uh, what we were able to do because we work with uh, large scale routinely collected health data, health information, such as from GPs and hospitals and pharmacies and uh, registries and all of that, uh, we tried and used or, or glean all of that information. You know, we tried and kind of um, apply analytical tools that we usually do, um, the same methodology that we, we work with, which is AI and statistics um, and informatics to, um, to routinely collected data, which is also something that we, we work with but to answer COVID-related questions. So uh, what is the clinical risk profile of, I mean, what increases your risk of contracting COVID or being infected with COVID? And of course, two or three, two and a half years down, down the lane, um, our answers to that question are very different and much, we have a lot greater understanding of it, both at biological and epidemiology levels. Uh, but at that time, you know, we were trying to kind of basically dig out from data, the available data, what we could about, you know, for example, just having a history of um, respiratory illnesses, obesity, cardiovascular disease, put you at a high risk of having COVID. Once you've had COVID, what are you at most um, at high risk of in terms of outcomes? So who's, you know, uh, at high risk of mortality, hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. And some of this work even informed um, policies like, um, the government's sort of shielding policy, um, the uh, the EMA's policy on um, to go ahead with the uh, the, the uh, WHO trials on, sorry, not uh, the, the EMA's um, guidance the on European Medicines Agency. Yes, the yes. European Medicines Agency's guidance mm. on hydroxychloroquine, which was one of the uh, trials and drugs under trial. Um, and WHO ended up stopping their hydroxychloroquine trial based on that, even though the U.S. president had been saying something completely different. Um, so our work um, to answer epidemiologic questions using, you know, um, informatics tools and techniques and big health data is what we were doing at the, uh, during, during, the, during the pandemic. Mm. You know, I can, can, you, can you tell me something about the, because obviously you're, you were using data from lots and lots and lots of different countries, which presumably was collected using different criteria and, and um, yep. you know, there, there wasn't standardization from one country to another. Uh, but I understand that, that you participated in various international collaborations and consortia, uh, which helped to 
uh, solve that problem so that the data was comparable? Totally. I mean, this is a work that was led uh, predominantly by Professor Preeti Alhamra, who is a mm -hmm. professor of pharmacology, uh, device epidemiology um, mm -hmm. in the same department as I am. And uh, yes, in a nutshell, through uh, consortia like the Observational Health Data Science Initiative, which is a global sort of community working in, in health informatics applied to, uh, they also pivoted to COVID, of course, like, like everybody else. Um, Oh, the, the, this consortium had been working for a long time on a on an underlying problem, which is which predates COVID, which is how do you make heterogeneous, patchy uh, health data from dis different settings and contexts uh, comparable, interoperable, uh, harmonized, and be able to talk to each other so that they can these data can then be used um, or compared uh, in a in a kind of a, a apples for apples manner. Um, and we were lucky enough to be able to leverage the um, sort of the methodology that had been developed around this question and apply it to COVID because from COVID we, we were able to kind of leverage uh, data from all sort of contributing data partners. This model operates on a kind of contributory basis, uh, so it it forms within it falls within what you might call federated network analytics, and the kind of the spirit behind that is that data owners anywhere in the world who are interested in contributing the contribution of their data to generate evidence and do research, uh, um, they can basically map their data to um, the OMOP common standard data, data model, which is one um, model for data sharing. And that enables them to then participate in network studies. So COVID had a lot of questions around it, and that was the kind of classical or, or the, the perfect a uh, perfect opportunity for many collaborators around the world with um, either who were either data holders or data owners or had access to to relevant data to be able to kind of contribute to that and um, and and produce results that were globally important but also you know relevant for their specific geographies and regions. And did you have a particular focus yourself um, within that context on on what kind of data or what from what geographical regions you were you were looking? So if you if you're talking about um, kind of the work we did um, in in the kind of um, observational data space for the COVID pandemic, um, then certainly what we uh, quite quickly came to the realization of was that. Um, a lot of these data um, that we were that it was possible to leverage in the form of a network study or and, and you know apply some sort of rules and gain some answers for were coming from um, let's say the, the the global north if you will um, though I'm not not a big fan of um, kind of um, um, yeah, the, the the appropriate terminology here, but a lot of the um a lot of the data was coming from northwestern hemisphere, or let's or even to be to be more um accurate from higher income settings, higher income settings, be that from northwest or from uh from places like um China and South Korea. Um, so to answer the question, one of the efforts we did do was to try and um leverage um by inviting data partners from um some 
um, more kind of resource limited settings around the world from where we knew from previous collaboration um, there was just as good quality data to um, participate in this kind of international activity around COVID. And in, in a sense, um, as many people say that, you know, th there were some silver linings to COVID and a lot, and one of that was accelerated research. Lots of things that couldn't have happened. I mean, the vaccine is, what's a better example than the vaccine being developed in you know, three months or six months. Um, but that is another example where uh, previously there would have been lots of issues like, and lots of issues and lots of bureaucracy and loopholes, loops, sorry, to get through. Um, it was possible um, and there was interest and motivation from our you know, collaborators in, uh, in regions like Brazil and Pakistan specifically to join this, what we call join the journey of, you know, um, you know harmonizing data to um, international standards um, and, and kind of be able to kind of uh, generate evidence do research from that. And uh, so that's been an interesting and maybe success, interesting success story um, in the sense also that beyond COVID, that sort of collaboration and um, culture of evidence-based uh, research for evidence generation and evidence-based uh, decision-making um, has, has sort of continued. Uh, and I hope that that's something that, that can grow. That's very good news. And and um, were there other COVID-related projects that you particularly led on? Um, let me think now. So there was a number of studies um, um, all around kind of the similar sort of space. I mean, there was um, some, some studies um, at, within the university um, um, and other ones more, more internationally. And we were looking at all sorts of things like um, risk factors, treatments, uh, vaccines, um, around the ideas, questions of efficacy and safety effectiveness and so on um that's all that's that's what i can think of off the top of my head mm. Mm. Me, and yeah. oh right i'm just looking at the time so i'm just going to switch to um your own sort of personal experience um, of, of the pandemic. So you've told me your situation, you were just back from maternity leave and, and shut within your four walls at home. Um, how threatened did you feel by the infection itself, by the possibility of catching the infection yourself? I think just as everyone else, um, there, was, there was so little knowledge at, um, especially early on in the pandemic, um, and, and more kind of, reason for apprehension uh, when you when you, you know the human mind you know the less information we have the more we tend to kind of panic and so on um so uh, although panic is not the word i would use i think there was a sense of the seriousness and the gravity of the situation at the same time i think um i distinctly remember the sense of reassurance as well in in knowing that this is we're all in it and it's it's not something that is it's just, um, I mean, I don't have to go through this alone. Um, we're all in it. 
you know, it's, it's you know, the prime minister has been affected of this country, people around the world are being affected. It's not something that uh, COVID in itself um, wasn't bringing inequity. It did, however, um, I have to say, highlight existing and underlying inequities in our healthcare systems and more broadly in our societies. We saw that through how various countries responded and you know the border restrictions they imposed and so on. Um, but but that's probably a, a whole other topic for, for another day. Mm. Uh, but on, on the whole, there was a kind of a, a mixed mixed sense of obviously some apprehension, uh, but also uh, you know the, some some sort of reassurance in, in the sense that we're all in it together. Georgina, that you had you you previously asked about what else. So in fact, I forgot to mention one of our um, ongoing studies is about um, inequities um, in healthcare. And um, with regards to um, bias in data and bias in our technology and how that can play out in ultimately bias in the healthcare that people receive in, in our society. And for that, we um, are in partnership with the Health Data Research UK, um, looking at for the first time um, an in-depth study of um, healthcare records of um, with regards to ethnicity from everyone in England and Wales. So that's 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 also something maybe and especially in how it played out in terms of COVID-19. So that's also another area that that we're looking at as well. Mm, mm. So I think we've more or less ran out of time. Um, you mentioned earlier that the, the work that you did uh, with low and middle income countries had had long-term benefits in, in terms of uh, a greater willingness to collaborate and so on. Uh, are there any other ways in which, uh, as you say, as a sort of silver lining to, to the pandemic, your work has been um, uh, accelerated or changed or made broader uh, as a result of the work that you did uh, during COVID? Um, I, I think, yes, I think um, it made us uh, realize as researchers um, the plasticity and um, the versatility of our, our work and how it can be adaptable to the need of the day, the global need of the day, if you will. Um, and yeah, I mean, I that's just kind of a more high level thing. I, I don't know if you can think of anything more specific, like let you know offline if I, if I can think of anything. Okay, um, I think that's great. Thank you very much indeed. It was a pleasure to talk to you and um, I will turn off the recording now. <laughs>